Hello and welcome to Live from the Space Shed, a podcast all about space and science hosted by me, John Spooner, and me. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I mean you. <laughs> Mini John. Long story short, a few years ago I accidentally set up my own space agency based out of the shed at the bottom of my garden. Turns out that if you go around telling people you're the director of human spaceflight operations for the unlimited space agency wearing an orange spacesuit, more people than you might think want to play along. And now the British astronaut Tim Peake is our patron and he took me with him to space. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, all right, he took you with him to space. So Minnie John became UNSA's first astronaut. Since then, we've been touring in UNSA's mobile headquarters, The Space Shed, to festivals like Latitude and Blue Dot, telling stories, talking to some super cool space and science people, and we've recorded our chats so you can find out about their amazing work as well. Yes, MJ? Who's my favourite person? What, in the... in the world? Do you want me to say it's you, Minnie John? Uh-huh. Okay, MJ. I am my favourite person. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, you. What, what did I say? Uh-huh. I said you. Uh-huh. Me? Uh-huh. Or you? Uh-huh. Oh, now I don't know who either of us are anymore. Anyway... Another of my favourite people is this episode's guest. I know, right? What are the chances that this little chat between us should lead us nearly neatly into the podcast that people have chosen to listen to? Quite. Let's get into it. This episode was recorded in the faraway forest at Latitude Festival, where we were joined by one of my favourite humans... She is a poet, a lawyer, international human rights activist and, along with me and four of our other dear friends, a founding member of Unlimited Theatre, Dr Louisa Ashley. Press go for launch, MJ. Festival! Hey! Hey, my name's John. John Spooner. I am the Director of Human Spaceflight Operations here at the Unlimited Space Agency. Welcome to Answer HQ. The Space Shed! Give it up for the Space Shed! Yeah, yeah, hey. Who thought it was going to take off? Wow, it's like definitely first day of the festival vibes, right? We're going to do a little bit of that, actually. Anyone here want to go to space? Yeah, you're doing well. Literal family in the front row here. Thanks for your support. Um, We're telling stories from here. Uh, We're hosting conversations with amazing, brilliant people, climate scientists, activists, uh, some space scientists. As many of you will know, this is uh, the weekend of the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing. So we've got some very cool stuff here happening. We've got cinema in the evening. We've got DJs going late. There's loads of stuff for you to see and do all over the weekend here. But like I say, one of my favourite things as my job as director of human space operations is i get to meet some really cool very interesting people and i have one of them here for you today we're going to have a chat you get to ask them some questions very special they are a poet 
and recently been appointed the head of law at Leeds Beckett University. Very, very clever. And one of the most brilliant human beings that I know on this planet. Would you please welcome into the space shed, Dr. Louisa Ashley! Hi. Hello. Lou, welcome to the space shed. Thank you. Oh, God, I've got a massive spider. Sorry, (laughs) there we go. Someone told us yesterday, actually, that there is apparently a nest of tarantulas somewhere in the faraway forest. We don't know where. So if anyone... Anyone got spider phobia? Just two of you. They'll probably get you. Um, Lou, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You are a poet, like I said. Yeah. You have just been appointed head of law at Leeds Beckett University. Yes. Scary. (laughs) But it's an interesting route that you've taken to this point because you actually started... uh, You studied theatre at the University of Leeds. I did. English literature and theatre studies. That's cool. Well, I studied English literature at uh, University of Leeds. Yeah. Yeah. And then after university, you set up a theatre company with five friends. Yeah, including you. That's how it works. That's how you get your (laughs) guest passes at Latitude. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, actually, no, the reason is that uh, you are an artist who's moved into now law, working uh, particularly in human rights law, international human rights law. You've got a doctorate. Lou, how do you describe yourself these days? Oh, I don't actually know. I I suppose I describe myself as um, an academic. Yeah. Yeah, an aspiring academic, because you're always trying, you know, you're always learning new things, and I also... I'd like to describe myself more as a poet. So I just I'm really, did. I know, yeah. So that, 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 that was great. Um, and as a as a facilitator of learning and life, I think, really, yeah. That, a facilitator of learning and life. I like that. Head of law and facilitator of learning and life. That's beautiful. We worked together for a long time. We did. Uh, like I don't know how many years it was running a theatre company, and then in two thousand and three, you very sadly left the theatre company. Yes. Um, yes. But to go on and. You retrained in law? Yeah, so I'd started studying law part-time while we, you know, we, we were touring, weren't we? And Liz was doing psychology and we'd be there reading our books before going on stage and I really enjoyed it. And then I got recruited by a big corporate law firm in Leeds, so they sponsored me through my studies. So I left Unlimited. Uh, the day after leaving Unlimited, found out I was pregnant with Mia. So, yeah, and then started... Um, my training contract as a solicitor when Mia was just four and a half months old, so that was it was quite intense. Because yeah, you f- did your final exams. I'd had Mia two weeks earlier. Yeah. So Lou not only got a degree in English and Theatre Studies, retraining to be a lawyer, doing those final exams. <laughs> As you're yeah. literally any time, any time you could have appeared, uh, and there she is being this superwoman uh, doing yeah. that, and then straight back into the world of work as well. Yes, yes. So corporate tax was my first seat, um, and that yeah, it was it, that was really intense with a tiny little baby. So learning to be a mum and learning to be a solicitor, and um, so I thought this is really full on. I think the only solution is to have another baby. <laughs> <laughs> I need some time off. <laughs> But this is really extraordinary. And people say it must have been... It's a big gear change, right? Going from being an artist to a corporate lawyer. Yeah, it, 
in many ways it is you know it's a completely different sort of organization values set but you know you're you're working with people who are questioning the world around them you know what how, how does life work how does society organize itself how do we make sense of the world around us and I think that's what has always interested me in law you know how do how what are our codes of behavior what are our norms where do they come from and I think what's interesting about law is you can think about it it's got an expressive function so this is the kind of society we want to live in so let's make some laws that are aspirational so we've got human rights norms and principles that doesn't mean that all societies abide by those but this is the this is the direction of travel but then law is also instrumental so you know if you don't abide by the codes and the norms and um, that we've set then you you will be punished that that's the system we've got here anyway and not just as an individual right everyone is held to account be they individuals companies firms we're going to come on to that a little bit more countries being held to account as yeah. well um because moving from there you became a teacher when did you start Leeds Beckett 2008 so that is only 10 years ago yeah and you started as a lecturer senior lecturer senior lecturer senior lecturer yeah. and in 10 years you've become the head of law yeah yes Thanks. but you have recently completed your phd as well and this is where we're going to get into uh, the title of your talk uh, well our conversation chocolate and yes. ecofeminism what was the phd based on? okay so the chocolate the, the phd is nothing to do with chocolate or ecofeminism that is about international human rights and the way that states have to report to this particular mechanism at the united nations and what the function of that mechanism is and in particular i was looking at how it functions for states in crisis and my focus was yemen so when I started doing my PhD research, this was in 2014, 2013, um, Yemen was in crisis, but it wasn't in war. And now, obviously, it's it uh, yeah, in a terrible mess. But that has led you into becoming quite activist in your work. And yeah. this is... Go on, tell us about the chocolate. So, chocolate. How, chocolate and Okay, so what I've got here is some chocolate from Colombia. And it's from a, a little town, well, village really, called San Francisco, which is very different to San Francisco in the States. Um, I eat a lot of chocolate. I'm, I'm addicted to chocolate, so much so that I carry it around in a little tin. And after I'd finished my PhD, I was thinking a bit more about how much do we consider the... The place of origin of the things that we consume, particularly in, you know, the pressures on the environment, our carbon footprint. And so that got me thinking about the chocolate that I was eating and where did the cocoa or the cacao come from for the chocolate that I was eating. Then I got the chance to go to Colombia and ate some chocolate while I was in Colombia and that tasted amazing because I'm always tasting the chocolate has oh this is great i need to find out more about the carbon footprint of cacao you know what's what's going on with all the chocolate that i'm eating what um, you know should i be eating this much chocolate i'm probably not but from an environmental perspective and so then i i, I got some funding and i went back to colombia and i discovered i went and visited the 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 cacao farm where this is made and it was such an amazing story the woman who runs that farm there's a, there's a series of families and they very much focus on a sort of a cyclical process where the, the land is an entity of itself so ecofeminism that is taking the idea from feminism that male dominated societies will generally um, oppress and subordinate women and that is what's happening with the environment it's being commodified it's being it's a very linear process where we are extracting and using and we are not returning we need to move to a more cyclical approach 
So this was an opportunity to look at cacao, chocolate, to look at principles around the environment. And Colombia is fascinating because I don't know how much anyone knows about the, the, the political history of Colombia and the fact that in theory it recently, in 2016, came out of around about 50 years of civil war. But one of the consequences of the, the, the left guerrilla warfare that was going on is that they would hide in the jungle. And so actually Colombia is one of the most biodiverse countries be because it's all been protected. But since the peace accords, the rate of deforestation has, has massively increased. And also the Colombian government are trying to get farmers to diversify from growing the coca leaf to growing cacao. So chocolate is the answer. Chocolate, bringing peace to the world. Yes, and there's, there's actually something called the Coco Forest and Peace Initiative in Colombia. Which is nice. And how, because th this is, you've always used and worked with artists and uh, used art in that work that you've taken to be it international human rights or to the eco-feminism work that you're talking about here. How, how do we bring the arts and yeah. that work together? Well, I think, you know, obviously we were in a theatre company. I think if, you, if you've got that creative side, that, that's how you understand and process the world. So, so for me, when I went through a sort of traumatic personal event a few years ago, um, I started writing poetry again, having written poetry, a lot of poetry as a teenager. And these poems would just arrive in my head. You know, I'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and a poem would be there. So I'd have to start popping it into the notes in my phone so that I didn't forget. And before I knew it, I'd created a, a short show. So then I'm thinking, well, if I've used poetry as a way of dealing with trauma, how do other societies use that and obviously my PhD was looking at Yemen and there's a there's a poetry movement in Yemen where the a group of young people are taking the traditional oral poetry form and they are writing poems to their elders about the about the civil war but you know and and their experiences of it and it's really powerful uh, similarly in Afghanistan there is um, there's a landai oral tradition and it, it, it comes from the sort of the caravans you know so you're traveling along so someone at the front there's a call and response and this is how messages would get sent back and there's women in Afghanistan that have set up this poetry society and they record their poems on whatsapp to each other but they're risking their lives because if they get discovered doing this then their families come down really heavy on them so what's this is something that I'm starting to look into. So what is the role of poetry in conflict? Not just sort of conflict at a state level, but in an internal sense as well. And how to get involved with the reconciliation process, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Extraordinary work. I think you will all agree. In fact, I'm wondering, who would like to hear one of Lou's poems? Yeah. For the podcast, uh, that's a, a big show of hands. Lou, what have you got? Which one do you want? Visceral reactions first? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I normally start, I'm going to have to stand, stand up, yes. Let me yeah. move that and don't fall out. Okay, so this is called Visceral Reactions. I'm not used to the visceral reactions I've been having of late, where my head explodes and my nerves excruciate my intellect and powers of reason, where I want to flee from the room, the conversation, the treason. So I seek to turn my back on what has gone, 
but there's this voice that pops up and goes on and on, obsesses and fixates and makes me want to run away, away from the complexity of the old and the new, be alone by myself, shut down, and instead pursue a life without drama, in which I'm not the protagonist, not the girl that feels caught in a point of convergence of everyone's past collapsing into my present, that shoots into the heart of my natural effervescence, makes my mind spin, my grip start to slip, my head go under, my sanity dip. The purpose of life is to enjoy every moment, the yogi T's words of wisdom speak to me. And I'm trying to enjoy the view from my van of the stream and the kids and the sheep. But there's this sadness that won't let me sleep. It creeps up when I'm making the tea or hanging the washing or left on my own. I feel my inner peace start to groan under the weight of this mess. I'm fine and I'm in pieces, excited about future possibilities and paralysed by shock. I no longer want to be stuck. No longer want to be stuck. Thanks, Lou. Thank you. When did you write that one? Oh, that was on my birthday, and that was in 2015. And what was it? Four years ago. When did that arrive? Did that arrive in the night? Yeah, so I was I was camping in my camper van and had this. I started feeling very claustrophobic actually, and and it started coming then. So I had to turn the lights on. And sometimes you just write a little seed of it, and then the next day you work on it, and a little bit more comes. And then actually, this poem here that I've just shared with you is actually a combination of two different poems that I revisited recently and felt that they would work better put together. Nice. And in part, you've chosen this one as well because we were talking before we came that this weekend we're really focusing on uh, the climate crisis, activism involved in that, and you've chosen this one in response to that broad brief, I think. Yeah, well, that, this is just one of my favourites, actually. I think my cow's poem cows. is we'll more cows. relevant yeah. to that. Yeah. Well, I like the visceral reactions part of it. This is a big thing for me at the moment, the idea that a lot more people are beginning to really feel the impacts of the climate emergency and to feel lots of feelings of anxiety, yeah. um, grief often, um, fear, and the, a way of dealing with that. Similarly to what you talk about with uh, in post-conflict, that just by talking about it at least is a great first step to dealing with some of those often quite terrifying feelings. Well, And I think you're right, because I think the, the decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis are getting increasingly harder in terms of the anxieties and the fears that we we have you know and, I, and I'm sure you all find you know you're stood in the supermarket and I, I've, I've walked out not getting what I want to get because I can't get it in the way that I want to get it. Mm. Well, and this is where I think uh, there's a really interesting crossover with that way of describing, f- uh, expressing emotions and emotional responses to things through art, and then the work that you teach as a lawyer yeah. and the activist. I remember we've spoken before. You've talked about how you love that you're activating your students as well. Yeah, it's really interesting having so having been in higher education for eleven years now. The the student does anyone does anyone here work in higher education? No, okay. None of this lot have proper jobs. Look at them. <laughs> so it's it's a real uh, privilege because I get to work with hundreds of generally 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds and so to have them in a space where you can invite them into a difficult conversation around very difficult concepts, particularly where international human rights are concerned, the environment, the obligations of non-state actors including multinational corporations and and then the the preferences and the choices that we make on a day-to-day basis 
and how they fit in to that very, very complex web and therefore what you do about it because it's very easy to feel utterly powerless and lost and bereft and therefore do nothing. So, you know, talking about sort of like being a facilitator of learning and, and life and it's just encouraging people to, to not accept the narrative that they are being peddled or that we are being peddled around us constantly and to question everything but in a constructive dialogue. At two o'clock we're going to be doing a show called How to Save the Planet which is my attempt to try and work that out um, if you're interested in that but what we've also done is that my feeling was it's often really difficult to know what to do yeah. and you need a starting point so we've got a website called How to Save the Dot Earth. If you've ever wondered what can I do or what more can I do, How to Save the Dot Earth, go there and one of the things of different levels, level one, two, three, four, five level one is something you can do right now uh, instantly today. Level five is if you wanted to dedicate your life to fighting climate uh, change and breaking the climate crisis, that you could uh, study to become a law, a lawyer, and Good. start to use the legal system yeah. to make that change so that you can take corporations. We've got kids that are taking their schools to court. So yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we might think of uh, in Brazil the collapse of a mine. Well, what does that have to do with us? Well, that's owned by a German company. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of activity that goes on in the West that is actually directly or should be held directly accountable for, for what is going on in the global South. So, yeah. And then that impacts directly on the environment. So I think it's a genuinely extraordinary career that you've made and achieving all the things that you have. But this is an opportunity. Lou knows loads of stuff about poetry, other places in the world, international law. So does anyone have any questions they would like to ask of Lou about or any of her work? There's someone down here. Yeah? Hi. Hi. Actually, just from what you said earlier, that in Colombia they're trying to encourage farmers to grow cacao instead of cocoa instead of coca instead of coca yeah is that why is that so the the coca is used to produce cocaine and that's sorry not chocolate ever coca produced chocolate as well or uh, ah, so we've got an issue here with with language so cocoa and cacao are the same yeah but then there's coca which is the coca leaf which is what cocaine is then produce yeah so that's an excellent bit of clarification otherwise you'd have gone away really confused <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 that's great anyone anyone else hi uh, so back to the consumption the environmental concerns in relation to the cocaine leaf what 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 um, why is cacao better than cocoa we've got environmental issues in terms of deforestation but I think the major issue which is linked to environmental is that in 2012 they stopped doing the crop spraying you know that's sponsored by the US going in and spraying all of the coca leaves and what that crop spraying process did was it just it killed everything and it was also killing the jungle and the rainforest which the coca farming abutted and they stopped that in 2012 but there was a, a new president was elected last year in Colombia and they're looking at reintroducing that but also the issue is with the with the supply chain um, and that now that the peace agreement has happened then actually there's been an increase as I said in deforestation and in the growing of the coca leaf so it's very political as well because the US is involved with their war on drugs policy. And just another example of people in some of the poorest parts of the world and those communities being disproportionately affected by, by people taking stuff away and out of the planet, right? Yeah, and I, on my 
recent research trip to Colombia, I met uh, a girl whose family have always farmed coca. They've always farmed it. And they were given the opportunity to diversify into cacao. Uh, so they took that opportunity, but they continued farming the coca as well. And she said, that's just, that, that's, that's how we make our living. And until you've got a supply chain for the cacao, we can't stop. We can't stop farming the coca. So it's a, it's a, it's a really really complex issue. Um, but now that the the FARC, the gorillas, have moved out, the issue you've got now is that you've got other drug cartels, that are criminal Mexican drug cartels, moving in. So it's and environmentally, where you've got this biodiversity, really needs preserving. And so then the answer being to reintroduce crop spraying is really bad for the environment. So what is, is it, and it's a bit unfair to ask you this question, because what is the answer? What is the answer? Because this is this thing for me, definitely, at the moment, feeling really hopeless in all of this. But there is reason for hope, right? It comes back to, you know, me sort of thinking about the choices that I make when I'm stood there buying my chocolate. You know, we as Western consumers are actually very powerful so we might think that as individuals we're not but actually as a collective we are extremely powerful and we've got an opportunity to harness that power uh, and and influence our trading relationships the amount of aid that the UK sends into places like Colombia like Yemen is enormous that's our money as taxpayers okay and then the relationship that we have in terms of the goods that are coming back to us uh, or the ramifications of that process so we we need to mobilize we do lou we talked um a while ago we must pick this conversation up you got in touch saying we should do something about the arms fair uh, yes that's happening but this yes. is because you're very hot on yemen i'm not sure that it's still not in the media a huge amount it's not necessarily you know light-hearted festival fair but highlight what's happening in Yemen right now okay so I mean how long have you got and if it starts getting boring just tell me to shut up but we've currently got in Yemen 80 percent of the population are dependent on humanitarian aid around about 14 million people are at risk of famine Uh, the major port Hodeida which is where all of the aid supplies go into has been shut down recently reopened but the coalition which is led by Saudi Arabia and includes the UAE uh, the UK we we sell billions of pounds worth of arms to the Saudis Um, and if you look at the graph of those sales whilst this war has been ongoing it is just enormous and outrageous really uh, we also give an awful as i said before an awful lot of money to yemen in in aid but th- it's not being reported on and not not in the mainstream media and there's clearly reasons for that and i think well uh, some of the reasons being that as a nation we are subsidizing the firms that are then or supporting the firms well, well that we're, we're providing military intelligence so we're training the saudis we're also providing um th- there are reports that we've got certain people on the ground particularly in the border region so yemen is just at the, the south you've got sort of saudi arabia like that and yemen is just across the bottom here and it's the poorest country in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia is one of the richest. So. And big thing for us this weekend is about mobilising but how when you talk about we need to mobilise how we, someone says I want to mobilise, I want to get involved with that what, where do they go, what do they do? Well 
there's there's lots of things that you can do so from from Yemen's perspective if you're interested in that there's a campaign against arms trade they've just had a, a case go through the court of appeal uh, which they have won part of it so the the decision to continue licensing the sale of arms to Saudi Arabia has just been ruled as unlawful so you can join campaign against arms trade and support them because They're, it works yes and they are currently getting all of their activism ready for a big arms fair that's going to be going on so you can get involved with that um, you can use the arts and creativity, so you can have a look at the work, the poetry work that's going on in these different countries, and I think just become more become more knowledgeable. Because mm. it is, it's easy to ignore it, and I think that's, like I say, I'm aware that this year we, there's slightly less sort of fun banter that we're doing in the space shed. We're trying to keep it light, and at the same time, there's some really serious that's going on that we don't want to ignore because it's better to talk about it, right? Yeah, could go vegetarian. Yes. Let's put that out there. Yeah, um, that's. I think that's a level. I think that's a level two suggestion. Anyone got a question for Lou before we? Uh, yes. Hi. I knew you were waiting to ask something. Thank you very much. Um, you spoke earlier about laws being aspirational on your sort of travels. Is there a region or a country or somewhere where you think they've kind of cracked it that we should be kind of following their blueprint? That's I think a good that's a, yeah. I think it's a really good question. Um, you know, on the face of it, you might say, "Oh, the Scandinavian countries," because they're they're really on it where human rights are concerned. Um, I could also say, "Well, you know, let's take a look at Yemen." They are party to nine of the major international human rights conventions, but my goodness, it doesn't look like there's, they're making much of a difference. So I think the whole international human rights framework is fundamentally flawed. Yes, it's aspirational, but if it doesn't actually secure rights for people on the ground, then it's, it's pretty futile. And going back to the sort of Scandinavian model, actually, I was in um, Oslo a few years ago and speaking to people, there's, there's a populist movement going on there that's very anti immigration and you know there's a a rising number of refugees that are being marginalized that are really struggling to survive so now more than ever i think it's actually it's quite critical sorry that's not a very well no it's clear it's like there is lots of aspirational stuff out there but at the moment people just continue to ignore it and this is a terrifying thing it's like the way that you know we see it happening in our politics every day at the moment here's the rules this is the deal this is what you said i'm going to do something else entirely different and it's why we need to it's why with extinction rebellion closing down city centers in five cities and keeping going actually and that's the thing staying active as 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 much as we can lou maybe you could see us out and lou you're not going to run away are you yeah you're not going to run away are you so no. we often get people if you were just a bit shy or didn't get the opportunity or feel it was the right moment that lou's going to be sticking around you know what she looks like now um you can go over and have a chat with her there's a gin bar just there buy her a gin and have that conversation lou you've got yes. a poem to see us poem. out haven't you yeah, do you want me yeah. to hold your chocolate for you yeah okay thanks um yeah, so this poem is called Cows because I actually think we need fewer cows in the world and more trees. Uh, and this, I wrote this poem as I was going for a run, maybe two, three years ago. So, Cows. Those hills whose crisp definition had yesterday woozed a lazy bank holiday love affair are today unseen. I pant upwards the usual waymarks absent by the mist, my usual turning points too easily missed. I can only hear the bleat of lambs, can't see their origins. Suddenly, ahead of me and in my path, guarding a usually open gate, soft brown solid figures that make me hesitate. Oh, hello, 
I say to the moist air. They view me with detached disdain. I'm a city girl. These cows don't sit easy with me. I recall when, a quarter of a century ago, their friends on the Cheshire Plain had lined up at 3am to cast their disapproving looks my way. I pause and retreat. I pause again, turn 180 degrees, wave my arms and call, shoo! And all they do is nothing but continue to chew the cud. If I was brave, I'd plough on through the mud and traverse the gate, but I pause and wait, then say, okay, and turn about, run back the way I came. Thank you. Dr. Louisa Ashley, everybody. Just to say goodbye properly. That is Dr. Louisa Ashley doing amazing work. This afternoon, two o'clock, uh, going to be doing a show, How to Save the Planet. Come along for that. Later today, we've got Dr. Alice Bell, who's uh, an extraordinary climate activist scientist, writing uh, the history of climate change for Bloomsbury at the moment. Then we're showing Hidden Figures, amazing film, if you've not seen it, about the amazing women that did all the uh, maths to get the Apollo missions to the moon. Then we've got DJs uh, later this year. I can't remember who's... Oh, Alice Bell is DJing. And then we've got Frau DJs, our resident DJs. Loads of stuff happening today. Thank you for coming along today. One more time, Dr. Louisa Ashley, everybody. <laughs> yeah, the cow poem is great, but visceral reactions, still my favourite. Louisa is a true inspiration to all of us. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share us with your friends and family. Live from the Space Shed is an unlimited theatre production with Season 1 brought to you in association with the Science and Technologies Facilities Council, the Cockcroft Institute, the Space and Arts Council England, with special thanks to Dr. Rob Appleby of Manchester University. Our theme music is Go by Public Service Broadcasting, used with their extremely kind permission. Our sound engineer and editor is Andy Wood, with additional sound design by Elena Pena. The show is produced by John Spooner and Alice Massey, with support from our friends at Story Things. Live from the Space Shed is an unlimited theatre production on behalf of the Unlimited Space Agency. See you again for more... Live from the space shed soon. Live from the Space Shed. See you for more. Live from the Space Shed soon. TheSpaceShed.com